Uh, today I want us to look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Uh, the last time that I was uh, set to preach, um, I would, started thinking about this passage. And uh, I've been thinking about it from that time until now. And so just really felt the Lord had laid this on my heart to uh, just preach through this, this chapter. And so that's what I'm going to endeavor to do today. I'm just going to read through the entire chapter. You follow along as I read. My, be- my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, and they obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, are driven of a fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among your members, that it defile the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren... These things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And the title of the message today is Words, War or Peace. Words, War or Peace. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would help me today to... Speak only the words of God that I would not uh, stray from what you have for us here in this passage, but I would just expound on what is written. And uh, Lord, I pray that you just 
Give me wisdom in the things that I say as I talk about the things that we say. And I pray that you would just use this in our lives as a church. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Words. Where there will be war or peace. Uh, Growing up, uh, it was a popular phrase. um, And maybe it was just a regional thing, but sticks and stones may break break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you guys grew up saying that? Okay. It's like the older generation. I'm still in the older generation, I guess. Uh, That that statement is very untrue. Uh, When you get hit with a stick or a stone, that'll heal up. Nobody will know it ever happened to you. But words affect the inner man. It has, it has a different effect and a much more lasting effect. How many of you guys remember Ronald Reagan's 1964 speech, A Time for Choosing? Okay, good. I didn't catch anybody on that one. If you remember it, boy, you, you were, uh, you were uh, born before dirt. But uh, Reagan's speech, you can watch it on YouTube right now. Uh, time for choosing. That's a powerful, powerful speech where he, where he juxtaposes slavery and freedom and he, he brings in all the illustrations of the Old Testament. Should Moses have refused to lead the children of Israel into the wilderness? Should Christ have denied the cross? All of these pictures that he, that he works into that and you, you get done listening to that speech and you got, you got goose skin. It just, ah, gets you. Why? Because words have impact. And specifically in this passage, we're going to be talking about what comes out of the mouth. You know, that written words have impact. But this passage is specifically dealing with what comes out of our mouths has impact. How do you think, do you think that the words that Nathan the prophet said to David had impact when he told, looked at him in the face and said, Thou art the man that has done this thing, this terrible thing. Um, how many times do we sit in church and we, we hear the preaching of the Word of God? We're, we're, we're sitting in church and we're listening to the words that we're singing and we're overwhelmed by the, by the greatness of our God and the love of our God. Those, those words, they have, they have impact. They have an effect in our hearts and in our minds. The point that I'm trying to make today is words have tremendous power and a perfect man will bring his words into subjection to the words of God by bringing himself into subjection. And that's the point of this passage. That's the point of of James chapter 3. Many times when I've read through this passage before, I think, boy, better just not say anything. It would be better if we all just gagged ourselves and didn't say anything. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is we need to strive to be a perfect man, a perfect woman, whose words are in subjection to the words of God. So I just want to look at three things. I'm going to, we're going to talk about the perfect man's tongue will not offend, the perfect man's tongue will not oscillate, and the perfect man's tongue will not obfuscate. And uh, we're going to look at each of those aspects that are in this passage. First of all, a perfect man's tongue will not offend. 
the context of this uh, passage uh, there in verse number one, he gives he starts out with a command of be not many masters. Now, to to be a master, he's talking about being a teacher, being somebody that's instructing people. And the context of this whole book is a church. He's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered throughout the regions um, of the then-known world. Um, he's writing to Jews in particular. Okay, So technically it's not to one church. He's writing to the 12 tribes scattered throughout. So these are people that used to be members of the Church of Jerusalem, people that used to be members of the church that James pastored. Okay, and, and, he's, and he's sending this out, and he's saying, be not many masters. Think about what was going on at this, at this time period. You had a bunch of Jews who followed the law, who were redeemed by the blood of Christ, putting their faith and trust in Christ, and then they were joined in churches with a bunch of Gentiles. And then we know about some conflicts that came up with that. Some of them were trying to say that you had to be circumcised, and some of them were saying you had to have dietary restrictions and, and all of those things. And so you had some people that decided that they were going to be masters as well. They were going to be teachers as well, and they were causing some divisions in the church. Um, that's what he's saying. He said, my brethren, be not many masters. He said, you need to get in line with your pastor, first of all. That's the first point that he's, he's making here. And that's all part of a perfect man's tongue not offending. Uh, if, you're, if we're all, all the teaching, all the preaching that's going on here, it should all be unified. It shouldn't be that we're, we all have our own ideas. Brother Hoyle has his ideas, and I have my ideas, and Bradley has his, and we're just teaching contrary one to another. That's not right. Why? Because the Word of God is perfect. We all need to get in line with this book, and we all need to get in line with our, with our pastor. As he follows Christ, we're to follow him as he follows Christ. And the way that there, there are conflicts, there are things that have to be resolved, Okay, but we don't get up and, and teach and preach them. All right, that's not how we resolve them. We, we go seek out our pastor, right? Hey, pastor, I, I, can you explain this to me? And and we work through that. And sometimes there's a there's a process of time um, where that growth takes place. But you get on the same page. You don't go around the church and 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 teach things contrary one to another. You don't cause schism in the body. That's not that's not right. And that's the that's the first thing that he deals with here is get in line. Get in line. Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. In our minds, we think that we're right. And I know that I'm right, and so therefore I'm going to tell everyone else in the church that I'm right, and I want to teach this anyway. He says, no, no, no. You're going to receive the greater condemnation. What you think you're doing that is good because you think you're right, no, no, no. You're going to receive the greater condemnation. You're not doing any good here. This is, this is, this is going to be a detriment does not please the Lord. So first of all, get in line. A perfect man, he gets in line with the uh, authority that God has put in place. Number two characteristic of the perfect man, not offending, is he uses his word, his words to help. Um, the meaning of the word offend is not, you hurt my feelings. Okay? That's not the meaning of it. The meaning of the word to offend is to cause to stumble. So he doesn't, in the words that he says, he doesn't cause people to sin. He doesn't give people the idea that something is okay when it's not okay. Um, 
and we can very easily fall in fall into that uh, mindset of it doesn't matter what I say, and it doesn't matter um, what things I share with other people. No, it does matter. Um, you, you remember uh, there was the the passage in the uh, the the letters that Paul wrote about abstaining from meat offered to idols. And he said, all things edify, um, all things are expedient, but all things edify not. And he said, what's sold in the, in the marketplace, you give thanks to God for that and you eat it, and that's fine. But he said, if, if there's a brother there that is of a weaker conscience, and by me buying that meat that was offered to idols, it allows him to think in his mind that it's okay to go down to the temple, and then be involved in all that, all that down there, I'm not going to do that. And so that is the same principle here. Uh, I'm going to be careful with my words uh, that I'm not going to cause someone to stumble with what I say. I'm not going to cause somebody to, to uh, be lured into temptation and sin because of what I say. So he, he recognizes, I'm sorry, he uses his words to help, not to hurt, not to offend. Colossians 4, verse 6 says this, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. So there is a time. There are, there are words that we need to use. There are times that we need to speak. But we need to make sure that we're not offending. We're not causing someone to stumble in our words. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man. He's a mature man. He has some understanding. He has some insight. So... This perfect man, he's not just thinking about himself and what technically is okay. He's also thinking about the growth of other people. He's thinking about how would this affect my brethren? Would it, would it help them to draw closer to the Lord? Or is this, is this going to hurt them? There's some intentionality that, that practically goes into this. He's not just flying off at the, at the hip, shooting at the hip with his mouth, like, uh, like Peter did many times. He's, he's intentional with it, with the words that he says. He recognizes, number two, he recognizes the nature of his tongue. So he uses his words to help, and he also recognizes the nature of his tongue. Uh, in Romans 6.13, the Bible says this, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Uh, this, this verse gives us the understanding that we can yield our mouths, we can yield our words one way or the other. We can yield our words to be damaging, or we can yield our words to please the Lord. Matthew 15, let's turn over there, Matthew 15. I, wanna, I want us to understand the origin of our words. Where does it come from, the things that we say? Matthew 15, and I'm just going to read verses 1 to 20. Then came Jesus, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, 
Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, shall, Whomsoever shall say to his father or mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father and his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said to them, Hear and understand. And this is, this is the point I'm trying to make right here. Verse 11. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth defileth the man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which the heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lean the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do ye not understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast into the draught? But those things that proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. A perfect man, he understands the nature of his tongue. He recognizes that what comes out of his mouth comes from his heart. And the Bible says, Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jesus said, Out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications. That which is within us is not good. And so the righteous man, he recognizes that. What comes out of his mouth naturally is not divine and inspired. Okay? It's bad. And so he's going to guard against that. He's going, to, he's going to be aware of that. And so when he, when he speaks, he's trying to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's trying to yield his member, his tongue, to the obedience of Christ. He's trying to yield his member as an instrument of righteousness unto God. He recognizes the nature of his tongue. Point number two. So point number one is the perfect man's tongue, he, it will not offend because he gets in line with his pastor, number one. Number two, he uses his words to help, and then he recognizes the nature of his tongue. And then point number, main point number two is the perfect man's tongue will not oscillate. Is that going to go back and forth? You know, he gives some illustrations in, in verse numbers uh, three and four. And this is kind of a transitional, a uh, couple of transitional illustrations maybe. A bit in a horse's mouth, he makes the point that it's a very small piece, but it affects the entirety of the animal. You can control anywhere that a horse goes. A horse weighs 1,200, 1,500 pounds. And you control that horse. You can make him do wherever he wants. And now, that can be a good thing, or it can be a bad thing. If you're riding a horse in the dark and you control your horse to ride off the edge of a cliff, it's not really a good thing. It's not helpful. Okay? 
but you can use a horse to do a lot of work, profitable work. You can, you can rope cows with it. You can cut cows with it. You can open gates, and you can maneuver, and you can go long, travel longer distances than you could on foot with that horse. It's, it's, it can be profitable, okay? And that's the illustration that he's making. We can use the tongue. We can yield our tongue to be members of righteousness, or we can yield our tongues to be instruments of evil. And then and he uses the same thing with a ship. You know, you can, you can use that helm to guide the ship through the dangers, the dangerous corals and the rocks and all the things. Or you can run the ship aground and destroy the ship, and there's great harm and damage and loss. And so it, the, the, the main point that he's trying to make is, who's the governor? Who's the governor of this, of this small helm? It, it, are you yielding your instrument as righteous, unto righteousness unto God? Or are you yielding your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin? And then he gives another warning. He says, the, the tongue is a little member, and it boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. So what we say could start out as something small and not a, not a big deal, but left unchecked, left uncorrected, it grows and it and becomes something that is uncontrollable, and it can be a great destructive matter. But the, the, the perfect man's tongue, he doesn't oscillate between these two things. He doesn't, his tongue doesn't oscillate between being destructive and running the ship aground, and, and then the next day he's navigating through um, the waters correctly. He doesn't oscillate between those two things. In verse number, uh, in verse number uh, seven and eight, it says, "The tongue can no man, uh, for every kind of beasts have been tamed, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison." So, again, let's go to the nature of the tongue. We, we can't control it. We can only bring it into subjection to the obedience of Christ. It's through the working of the Holy Spirit that this is done. The tongue, the tongue is. Uh, it can be used either way. And then in verse number 9, we see the oscillating, the oscillating tongue and, and the perfect man. He's not going to be characterized by this. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. This point is made throughout the Scripture. You can't love God and hate your brethren. If I say that I love God and then I don't like to be around Christians... I don't like to be around the brothers and sisters of, of my church. There's a problem. And if I, with the words that I say, say that I love God, and then I'm talking, I'm talking uh, in, in a way that doesn't please the Lord, if I'm degrading my brethren in the church, and I'm constantly cutting down the members of my church, I'm talking badly about them to other people, there's a problem. And a perfect man's tongue, it doesn't oscillate between those things because you can't love God and hate your brother. That's not how that works. There's a problem. A perfect man's tongue, he doesn't oscillate between those two things. And you will produce what you are. In verses number 10 through 12, he talks about the tongue. You can't bring out two different things out of the same source. 
doth a fountain send forth the same at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree bear uh, olive berries or a vine figs? So a fountain doth not both yield sweet water and fresh. You gotta understand. The tongue is just like everything else in your life. If you are if you are living for the Lord and you are following in Him, you will bring forth fruit consistent with that. And if you're not, you're not going to bring forth the good fruit. You, you will bring forth, the words that comes out of, come out of your mouth will be a sign of what's in your heart. A perfect man's tongue, it doesn't oscillate. It doesn't go back and forth between the two things. If there are things that are damaging coming out of, out of your mouth, if there are things that are not pleasing to the Lord coming out of your mouth, that speaks to what's in your heart. And a perfect man's tongue, he doesn't oscillate. Third point is, a perfect man's tongue will not obfuscate. And this is, this is where I want to spend a good bit of our time here. Obfuscate means to hide, to be evasive, unclear, or confusing. So, it's different than oscillating back and forth between the two things because he's hiding something else. So, it's, it's, he, the Bible takes and he compares saying one thing over here and saying another thing over here. So, you're just being straight up hypocritical with your speech. But this is different in that he's being a hypocrite, he's saying one thing, and now he's doing another thing. He acts another way. Uh, this person and, and a perfect man, he does not obfuscate. This is not characteristic of characteristic of the perfect man. And we see here in verse number uh, uh, fourteen, it says, "But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth." You know, there are many examples in the Old Testament of people that said that they loved God and said that they obeyed the commandments of God, and their actions didn't follow through with that. I think of Saul when God told Saul to go kill all the Amalekites, and he came back from killing Amalekites, and Samuel came to see him, and he said, yeah, I've, I've fulfilled the commandment of the Lord, and, I've, and God has destroyed all our enemies. And Samuel says, what's the lowing of the sheep that I hear and the lowing of the cows? Why do I hear cattle and sheep? God told you to destroy everything. And Saul says, oh, yeah, praise the Lord, I, I destroyed everything. No, you didn't. So he said one thing, he did another one. How do you think that affected the rest of the children of Israel? They're all looking to the king, and the king is out there praising God. Yes, God gave us the victory, woohoo! And he didn't obey. We know how God felt about that because he rent the kingdom out of Saul's hand that day. Uh, if you know the rest of the story, uh, Samuel went to turn away from Saul, and Saul asked him to come and worship with him. And he laid hold on Samuel, and it said that he tore Samuel's garment. Okay? Growing up, I always thought that that was kind of a, just a mild interaction between two men. Okay? If I was to grab Brother Dave's jacket enough to tear it, that's not a mild altercation between men. Okay? I would have ripped that thing pretty hard to tear it. And that's, and that's what happened here. He, he grabbed Samuel, and he tore his garment. Uh, very violently trying to trying to 
control Samuel. And Samuel just, he stopped him right here and he said, so the Lord's torn the kingdom from you. God takes this very seriously. This obfuscating, this obfuscating tongue, this tongue that says, I'm glorifying God, I'm doing what's right. It costs all his kingdom because this is, this is who he was. He was this person that wanted to glor- said he glorified God and then he had rebellion in his heart. You know, there's some, some people, you know, you, you might know some people like this. Some people that, you know, say they love the Lord and then you know, you look at their life and it doesn't line up. That's damaging. The Bible says in verse 15, wisdom, this wisdom, this wisdom of glorifying God with your mouth and then living like the devil, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but it earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. It's confusing. Everyone around them doesn't, doesn't know what to think. Everyone around them, some people around them will think, well, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be one. The damage that, the, that these phony baloney plastic banana Christians, they're not even Christians, but these, these phony baloney people, the damage that they cause is, is great. And we need to examine, examine ourselves, you know. If this, is, if this is characteristic of us, there's a problem. Because the perfect man's tongue, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't obfuscate. It doesn't hide the true nature of what's there. It doesn't try to hide it. Uh, the effects of this obfuscating tongue, again, it's, it's destruction of people's lives. It condemns many people to hell because of this. Uh, many, many children are damaged. If they grow up in a home like this, that's damaging to the children because it's not real. They go to church and everybody, everyone looks fine, everyone acts fine at church, and then Monday through Friday, it's, it's different. There's anger and bitterness and, and envy and, and strife and all these things. That's damaging. It's destructive. And a perfect man's tongue, he doesn't obfuscate. He is with his mouth what he is with his life. And so he juxtaposes the devilish wisdom, this wisdom of, hey, I can hide this from everyone else. If I just talk good, if I tell everybody that I love the Lord and I praise the Lord and I pray and I go to church, and if I tell everyone all this stuff, they'll think that I'm good to go. I'm a Christian, and, and I'll get all the benefits of that in, in modern society, in Western society, um, because they'll think I'm honest and I have got the complete package that comes with the worldview of, of, biblical, uh, of, of biblical Christianity. And so... I'm going to use this to my advantage. The Bible says that wisdom is devilish. That's wicked. We need to examine ourselves and make sure that's not us. That's not describing us. Because a perfect man's tongue will not obfuscate. So he juxtaposes the devilish wisdom with the heavenly wisdom there in verse number 17. Uh, He starts off in verse number 13, actually. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. You know, 
this goes back to, it's interesting, it's right here in the context, James chapter 2. The whole, the whole point of the end of the chapter, James chapter 2, is show me your faith by your works. Your faith and your works line up. What you say and what you do lines up. And that's what he's saying here. The heavenly wisdom, that's, that's the characteristic of heavenly wisdom. What you say and what you do. Your faith and what you do, they all line up. They're all the same. They come from the same, same place because you're controlled by the Spirit of God. It says the first, the first thing about heavenly wisdom is it's pure. You can't taint it. If it's, if it's tainted with the world, if it's, if it's tainted with, um, if, your, if your speech is, is tainted and, and your life is tainted with the things of the world, it's not pure. Heavenly wisdom is it's pure. It's undefiled. It's peaceable. You know, there are times when people have to be confronted. I've had to be confronted about things in my life uh, by my pastor, uh, by brethren, okay? But the way that they approached me wasn't, you're wrong, and you need to get this right right now. No, it was peaceable. It was, hey, the Bible says this, and what you did was not in line with the Scripture here. It's peaceable. If, they, if, you, come, if you come at people when, you, when it comes time to deal with something from a point and a, and a heart of war, you're not, you're not following this heavenly wisdom. It's gentle. You know, it's not, it's not rough. You don't come, you don't come at them um, expecting them to, to be perfect right away. You, you give them some time. It's easy to be entreated, this heavenly wisdom. It's approachable. You know, when, when somebody has a, has a question or there's an issue, this wisdom, it's, it's long-suffering. It'll hear people out. Um, you know, a good illustration of this is um, the illustration that Pastor Hammond used last week when the Marine, the Marine guy came into his office and told him, sit down, right? And uh, he, let him, he let him talk. And they worked it out and explained the situation. That's easy to be entreated. That comes from a heart of humility. That comes from a, a place of being surrendered to the Lord and his responses. Easy to be entreated. It's not defensive. It's not, therefore, it's not proud. It's humble. It's full of mercy. You know, it, it extends uh, kindness to people. Good fruits, this wisdom. Without partiality, it doesn't. It doesn't give different opinions at different at different times for different people, depending on who it is. And without hypocrisy, it doesn't say one thing and do another again, because it's all controlled by the Spirit of God. And then here's a. It sums up the passage, and this is a deep thought right here. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. 
And the idea is the people that, the perfect man who is not offending with his tongue, he's not oscillating, going back and forth, saying two different things. He's not obfuscating, trying to hide the wickedness that's in his heart. That characteristic of his tongue, it's peaceable. And, and that characteristic is evident to everyone around him. And it's like he sows that in the souls of the people around him. And then that same attitude, that same tongue is reaped in other people. They see that and they say, hey, that's, that's right. That's how I should be. They see that and they, they want to they wanna follow in that, in that vein. They see that pattern before them. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And the application that I want to make today is this. Here's some things that we can look at to examine our lives. How do we use our words? You can't hide what is inside from everyone forever. Everyone, people, people will pick up on it. And you can't hide from God at all. The question is, what are you hiding from yourself? If you go through this checklist and there's, and there's some red flags in, your, in the way that you act with, with the way that you speak, and those things don't line up, the way you act, the way you speak, they don't line up. You need to get that right. You know, if, if you're causing division in the church or teaching contrary to what the pastor teaches, you need to get that right. If we say that we love God in our church and we ridicule our brother and we're always tearing each other down, we need to get that right. You know, God gave a, a specific commandment on how that's supposed to go, Matthew 18. If there's a fault between you and your brother, you go deal with it. You don't go telling everyone else in the church, hey, I got a problem with so-and-so, they did this, blah, blah, blah. No, you, you go deal with that. You get that right. You get that taken care of. If we say that we love God and live according to our flesh, we need to get that right. Let's examine ourselves. What, what are we saying? This is, this, is, this is something I struggle with. I don't think about this. But it's important that we understand that what we say has a huge impact on the people around us. And, and we can either use it to please the Lord or we can cause tremendous damage with what we say. So might God help us. Let's be in subjection to his word. Let's put the word of God, let the word of God dwell in us richly so that what's in our heart is what's in his book and so that our words can minister and be helpful and beneficial and not damaging.